A mighty feast of hot steaming music brought to you in stereo by bostonfreeradio.com. Boston Free Radio has no corporate agenda. We're independent media for the people. Your music, your voice, your station. What is good, y'all? It's your man, the indefinable Sterling Golden, back in the building once more. This is the Chop Session, powered, as always, by 320 Entertainment. We thank y'all once again for locking in for this award-winning interview series here on Boston Free Radio. For five seasons on, the Chop Session is 60 minutes of thought-provoking, intimate conversation with the names you need to know now. Family, in case you sleep on an episode of The Chop Session or you happen to lock in late for a premiere here on Boston Free Radio, say less, we got you. You can stream episodes from seasons one through five on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other fine digital streaming platforms. So y'all, this week here on The Chop Session, we have the first of two really fabulous and disruptive Halloween-themed episodes of our series. A couple of fabulous ladies out here doing amazing things artistically from different ends of the artistic spectrum, all of which fit the theme of this time of the year. One of my favorite times of the year. I know your man Sterling doesn't always look like the type that would embrace Halloween, but big facts, I do. I love Halloween. And that being said, Joe, we have with us right now a multidisciplinary artist and UX designer that is based out of Somerville, Mass., here in the USA. And I met her a few months back at an art show, and she gave off the best vibes. And the artwork around me was something I really wanted to bring to you guys here on the show through the means of conversation. And I happen to be surrounded by this fabulous artwork right now because we are recording directly from the New Alliance Studios, not too far from Boston Free Radio's headquarters. And we have across from me right now, she who makes these artworks come to life. Her name is Yvonne Blanco, visual artist extraordinaire. We're talking about someone who explores the balance between order and chaos. We're talking about someone who is exploring the navigation of environments through the mixed media works that she does. And y'all, I'm looking at them right now. We have a lot to talk about here this week on the Chop Session. Yvonne, I've spent the last two and a half minutes going on around here, and uh, I think it's time we turn this over to you. You are fabulous. We are grateful to have you here. The first of our two Halloween-themed episodes this week of the Chop Session. Yvonne, what's good? How are you? Happy Monday evening. Hey, Sterling. Thanks for having me. You know, things are good. They're status quo. Um, thanks for being here at my studio at New Alliance Gallery, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation. You know, a little bit of personal history prior to this conversation. I go back a ways with the New Alliance family. You may recall the old WEMF radio station. New Alliance had some strong ties to that, and I was, of course, one of the folks who brought that station to you through the means of morning radio. And here I am again, surrounded by the New Alliance vibe. It is still that whole disruptive, alternative, fabulous, I say that word a lot, I know, but it means 
the world to me to say fabulous about anything that I believe in because it feels fabulous. And New Alliance embraces that alternative side of art more than anyone else I know out here in this community. And Yvonne Blanco, I'm looking around right now, and y'all, you can't see this because this is this is audio. Because this is audio, but I see Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie, Aladdin Sane. I see Lemmy from Motorhead. Man, I see so much good shit in this studio right now around me, and. I'm just going to begin with this conversation with this question, okay? And that is, who is Yvonne Blanco? What sets her soul on fire artistically? And what makes this kind of shit happen? Okay. So as far as who I am, I'm, I would describe myself as a very curious, almost fearless person. Um, I'm a multidisciplinary artist because I like to work in different mediums. Whenever I see something interesting, I think, okay, yeah. I want to do that too. And then I just, my love is in the process, just that discovery of, okay, how do I do this? Does it work? Does it not work? What am I finding out in the meantime? And so a lot of my work, uh, specifically, you mentioned the Ziggy Stardust um, those are the ink portraits that I do, and it was a byproduct of a lot of experimentation. I started off doing these very chaotic ink works, and then I thought, what if I brought some order to those? So it's not just a direct translation of emotion. It has some kind of figurative element in there. Maybe that can solidify just the relatability of these pieces. And so that was, you know, it was a curious endeavor where I was experimenting with rubber. I was experimenting with resist to come to this final style that I've been employing for a while. Um, what were your other... What sets my world on fire? What are my Your soul on fire artistically? You know, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I got a lot of questions this hour, okay? Yeah. But I guess just as I look around me right now and I see all this cool shit and I look at the fabulous artistic soul behind it, you know, who I'm talking to right now, I mean, there's so much I want to know, you know? Yeah. But I just want to know, like, when you sit down to create one of these pieces – what sets her soul on fire? You know, what makes her want to do this and makes her want to bring these just unbelievably vivid and disruptive and disturbing pieces of art become reality? Well, there's, there's several different things going on. One is my art has been a coping mechanism, has been a direct translation of trauma of things that are bothering me, issues that I'm trying to work out. Um, and a lot of my work, you see a duality. Like the there's a painting up there. It's called Gemini. It's two faces. There's a lot of ink blots. Um, they're both looking away from each other. And that duality, as a Cuban-American, it's part of my identity of having to live in two separate worlds in one person. You know, when I go home to Miami, I was uh, born and raised there and I'm first generation, I'm a completely different person than when I am up here. And so you see that theme a lot in my work of the dual nature. And it's not just because I'm also a Gemini, it's also because I'm straddling these two worlds and trying to make sense out of it. Now that also parlays a lot of the mixed media work I do employs maps and just torn up maps that don't make sense. Um, 
deconstructed structures. And that's part of just navigating, you know, through this world, navigating identity, not really knowing where you are and trying to make sense of things. So that is a big component. The other one that's a little bit more fun is I have chromothesia, which is part of synesthesia. So I tend to interpret sound as color. So I have a really good time. Anytime I go to a concert, I'm basically tripping out because I'm the music is like translating into colors for me. And I have my own private light show. So some of the work I have is basically a direct translation of how I see those songs. I have this panel of eight by eights and they're songs by local artists that I've sat down, listened to and said, you know, what are the images? What are the colors that come through? And we'll have more on that during the hour because I want to break down into those and talk about the local talent we have in this area of the USA that inspires your artwork because that ties into a whole nother conversation I have for you because, you know, as you know, with this outlet, Boston Free Radio, a lot of what the folks at the station do is embrace those talents on the underground, whether it be regionally here in New England or even abroad, and know that they are inspiring visual art by Yvonne Blanco. That's another conversation later on this hour. And I want to expand upon you talking about your origins and so forth. You mentioned Miami. Yes, you know, I did. Shout out to the, the 305 there. You know, so I want to dig into that now. Okay, the beginnings of Yvonne Blanco, you know, long before you embraced art as your career. So what was early life like in, in Miami for Yvonne Blanco? So, I mean, it was kind of hard. I grew up uh, rather poor in a bad neighborhood of Miami until, you know, my father did some business and got us out of there to slightly better environment. Um, but you're talking about where this began. I would say when I was 11, um, I think I was the only 11 year old having a life crisis because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up and I have dyslexia. So I'm not great with mathematics. Um, English is also my second language. I was terrible at it until I, you know, locked down and said, no, I'm going to learn English and I'm going to be the best at English and um, ended up getting writing awards. And it wasn't until I took a drafting class when I was like 11, 12 that I thought, okay, so I'm actually kind of good at this. I like architecture. I like drawing. My teacher says I'm good. Maybe this is what I do because I like suck at everything else. Um, also, I may add, um, in Cuban families, there's a lot of pressure. Most of them are doctors and engineers. So there's that pressure to be that epitome of perfection to be in those careers. And I was just not it. So I got recruited to a magnet uh, school in Miami called Design and Architecture Senior High. And I tried to study architecture there as like a 15-year-old. And I sucked at that. So then I shifted to graphic design. And what I liked about it, which is kind of the beginnings of this whole thing, is that you could combine different things. You could combine images. You could combine illustrations and typography. And I thought, this is going to allow me to do all the things at once. So I've always had that urge. Um, that led me to getting a scholarship to Rhode Island School of Design, where I still focused on graphic design. But um all of my electives were in mixed media, painting, photography, because, again, I still wanted to do all the things. And then after a couple of years, I ended up getting a job as a scientific illustrator. 
uh, for a scientific journal. So I was doing uh, cellular diagrams for about 11 years. And that was, you know, I love that job. I love science. I love drawing. I was never good enough to be a doctor. So I figured, why not just draw it and communicate it? And then from there, I ended up getting my current job as a UX designer, which is a very interesting field where you, you're basically designing. It's a human-centered design. You're designing for people, and you have to understand people in order to design the best solution, the best experience that they will have. I'm still in science, which I like, um, but it's just kind of a different realm of designing for science that I am um, to... Since most of, um, since my day job is mostly digital and I'm in front of a computer all day, I'm talking science, it's kind of that serious area. Um, I do my fine art work on the side. I have the studio where I can come and work on ideas that I have in my projects. So it's that, it's that kind of balance between my super serious day job and this kind of loose, chaotic work that I enjoy doing. You know, one thing I recently learned about Yvonne Blanco when we got to talk prior to the taping of this episode is the fact that back in the day, apparently, Yvonne Blanco and your man Sterling Golden in a previous life actually used to pull up to the same nightclub, the fabled Man Ray out in Cambridge, Mass. in the USA, home to Boston's underground nightlife scene, as they used to say, on the answering service back then, dating myself there. Yes, I used to call for updates. But yeah, I want to hear from Yvonne Blanco how her experiences at Man Ray influenced what she does today. Yeah, so I, I was part of the goth scene in Miami, and we used to go to the the goth club. Um, I believe it was called The Kitchen, maybe at Churchill's. It was the night. Um, so I was looking for that up here when I moved up after college, and, you know, I found that in Man Ray. And at the time I had joined a bike gang. Um, they're still around. They make chopper bicycles. They're called Skull. You can find them at uh, skull.org, S-C-U-L.org. And from there, and this, this parlays later on, um, I had the gang named Samurai while I was with the gang. So uh, we would kind of dress up, do the big hair, and go have a good time at Man Ray. Um, I rode with them for quite a while and then I, I stopped, um, around, I'd say 2007, 2008 when I joined a wrestling league. Wow. And, wrestling promotion. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and they're still around too. They're just, uh, they've evolved. Um, it used to be the Boston league of women wrestlers, and now they're currently the Boston League of Wicked Wrestlers, and they have shows uh, every three months. Um, but um, I was with them for about, I'd say, seven years. And um, I retired after I blew out both my knees, you know, just realized I'm a vulnerable human being. What was your gimmick? And my gimmick. So my character was Mami Salami, the Cuban butcher. Wow. And my goal was to get people to eat meat because they needed nutrition. And so, you know, I'd, I'd speak, it was modeled after my mom. And so I'd come in and, you know, speaking in a Cuban accent, broken English, like, you need to eat the food and choke people with nylon sausages. And I would do, you know, the people's elbow with a plastic cleaver. Um, so. Oh, my God. Wow. 
What you gonna do, mommy salami, brother? Okay. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. I, have, I don't have none of these. None of these. Tu vas a comer. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love that it. That was yeah. That was most of the the stage band just channeling my mother, and what she would do. Um, if there's video out there of mommy salami, the Cuban butcher, please y'all tweet it to the Chop Session on Twitter or DM it at Chop Session Show, and let us see mommy salami, the Cuban butcher. Now I understand that along the way from being a wrestler. You know, there were some family experiences that occurred that parlayed into your first artworks I'm looking at over there. Let's hear that story. Yeah. So, um, you know, after I I quit the wrestling league or, you know, I retired, uh, my father got sick. Um, He had on and off lymphoma and it had come back. And I decided I was going to move to Georgia to help take care of him. Uh, my mother doesn't speak English and she doesn't drive at night. So I would, you know, be there to, in case he had to go to the hospital or something like that to drive them. And so when I started living there, it was hard because I had to kind of be on call. And so I couldn't really leave the house. So I decided to start making um, what I call heavy metal nutcrackers. And looking at those right now across from me. And I already know that that one right there is Robert Smith of The Cure. I know that to the lay person, the one on the right, maybe Gene Simmons, but I understand it's actually the man who Gene Simmons sued over his makeup, King Diamond. And there's an ironic twist to that, mentioning a whole lawsuit thing there. So take the floor on that. Oh, yeah. The ironic twist is that I actually got a cease and desist from King Diamond. um, And it was during the pandemic and I was installing fake tile in my kitchen. There was a thunderstorm. It hit a house on my block. So it was very loud. I jumped, broke a toe. And then I go to open my email and there's that cease and desist. And it was basically because I was selling them on Etsy and violating their trademark, you know, using King Diamond, Merciful Fate. And it's like, you here's a cease and desist. Stop doing that. Wow. And needless to say, you know, they did not find it flattering, I guess, that you were selling Nutcracker dolls. That I mean, were King Diamond and Merciful Fate planning on selling their own Nutcracker dolls or something? I you, mean, you never know. You, mean, you, he knows? does have that song, "No Presents for Christmas," uh, yes. or, or, or variation thereof. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that was that was hilarious. That uh, seriously, yeah. And so you know, I was making these at home um, and just like cranking them out because I couldn't go anywhere. And um, I had made friends with someone at the time who worked at Tumblr. Okay. And they, you know, one day I wake up, you know, I, I put them for sale on Etsy. I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm making like hundreds of these. Might as well try to sell them, pay off my debt. And, you know, because everyone's got the debt. Yes. And one day Tumblr puts me on their radar. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And then the next day, uh, Carrie Brownstein from Slater Kinney uh, posts a photo of my nutcrackers. Hey. And then Boing Boing, um, if you're familiar with boingboing.net. I certainly am. Yep. They write an article about me and I went viral. And it was insane. It was probably one of the best days because, you know, my father was in remission 
everything was going well. And now I'm, I went viral and I freaked out. I sold out in two days. And then, you know, I thought, okay, well, I'm sold out. My dad said, nope, do a backlog. So then I was basically cranking out nutcrackers for several months trying to keep up with the orders. So they, you know, because of that, like I, I do have a presence. Um, the other thing I want to mention, because the, the job I had at the time uh, was also very litigious and there was like something in the contract that they would own anything I produced while I was employed with the company. I was making these under pseudonym. And so if uh, you find anything from that time, I'm credited as Samurai White. That's your Twitter handle. That was, yeah. The, um, it's kind of defunct and I've changed it. And, um, you know, we can go into that later on, you know, in terms of what identity is and whatnot. But um, at the time I was using that as an alias, Samurai, my bike gang name and White, my last name translated to English. Fair enough. Um, so... It got to the point where, you know, I finished all the orders and I was I was doing everything, you know, kind of keeping it status quo. And a buddy of mine who is actually a guitar tech for Alice Cooper, my friend Warren, was in town in Atlanta. And he said, hey, do you want to come to the show? And I was like, yeah, sure. How much are the tickets? He's like, no, nah, dude, just just come to the show. And I was like, well, can I bring my best friend? And he was like, yeah. And then I said, hold on, you know, because... One of the things in my life that I've realized is you have to ask. If you don't ask, you're you're going to get left behind. That is so true, y'all. That is big facts. You know, you never know unless you ask. Right. That's and all the, it is. The worst anyone could say is no. And then you're like, okay, cool. Moving on. Exactly. But so I say, hey, Warren, um, would you be able to give Alice Cooper a nutcracker on my behalf? And he says, I'll do you one better. I'll give... Um, I'll make it so that you could give it to him yourself. So I was able to meet one of my childhood idols, Alice Cooper, backstage, and I got to give him a nutcracker. And in Alice Cooper's Instagram, that's run um, by uh, Kyler, who's also super awesome, wonderful photographer. You, There's like some photos of him at his makeup table, and there's a, the little nutcracker on, you know, right there in that mirror. And that has brought me so much joy. You know, it's it's the kind of thing where you're doing what you love. You don't care what people think because it's your expression. It's what you want to do. But then to get that kind of validation from someone you admire, you say, okay, so I, I am on the right track. I am doing things that, you know, people actually like. They're not just accepting him, like, you know, out of pity or out of like, yeah, right. okay, right, latitude. Yeah. You know, and it, it's another thing as you get on in your career, you learn to differentiate between platitudes and genuine admiration. Exactly. I see it a lot, you know, in this world of artistic expression, whether it be art, music, fashion, you know, whatever it is, you got to know when it's a genuine show of respect versus someone giving you lip service or platitudes or just being nice, you know. You got to know the difference. In the case of Alice Cooper, you know, displaying your work on his Instagram page, you know, that right there, you know, the fact that he had it on his makeup table shows you truly affected him with that artwork to the point where he wanted it nearby in his dressing room. Okay, that right there, there's a piece of Yvonne Blanco 
in Alice Cooper's dressing room. You know, which is, I mean, you can't get much higher validation than that. Yeah. That's serious. You mentioned identity mm-hmm. a moment ago. I want to dig into that now before we go further into the artwork. Samurai White, Mami Salami, you know, Yvonne Blanco. There's like different faces here, different facets to your personality, your being, your existence. So break down identity for me. What do these different sides of Yvonne Blanco mean to you, you know, and how deeply ingrained are they and how much they reflect the real Yvonne Blanco? Yeah. um, I mean, it's kind of sad because when I think about it, it's, I see them as, you know, phases of I am afraid to be myself or, you know, with the, with the trauma I have and everything and like, it is not okay for me to be myself. And so these were things that I hid behind. I mean, the mommy salami is a little different because I was pretty much, you know, parroting my mother. Right. And that, you know, that ties into my Cuban side, but almost like a satire, um, an exaggeration of of how she was. Um, but, you know, I figured like Samurai White, that identity was an armor. It was, you know, it was a protection from litigation. It was a protection from... You know, if I go out in the world and I fail, well, I have this mask, and so that's okay. And when um, I was about to turn 40, I took a road trip. This is after, you know, vaccines, after, you know, pandemic's still going, but I got vaccinated. My mom got vaccinated, drove down to see them in Atlanta, and then I decided to go to Miami and just hang out for a week and figure my stuff out, Um, and one of the things I like to do is I like to go into the ocean and just kind of have a conversation with it. Um, And so I was just, you know, knee deep in the ocean, just kind of asking myself questions, bouncing stuff off. And I thought like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to hide anymore. I'm pretty, pretty set in who I am. I'm in a place that values me and my work. And maybe I don't need this armor anymore. Maybe I, I'm able to stand on my own. And at that point, I said, okay, so I'm going to turn 40. I'm just going to be who I am, stand as myself. Um, and that's when I changed everything to Ivan Blanco and um, I handled to Blanco Machete, which is a reflection of growing up Cuban with machetes in the house. And, you know, I have my own. My mother has four. My aunties have them. It's kind of a part of who we are. Do you have a favorite one? Well, I mean, mine, um, we named them. So I have one, and I named it El Duce because the model was called the Double Deuce. Is El Duce here? No. In the studio? No, no, no. Okay. no. He's at my house. Um, and my mother had four. And, like, she named one of them Juan <laughs> after my dad. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. But... um. Yeah, no, I have I have the one. It's in my house. That's awesome. That's awesome, you know. I mean, it's fascinating, you know, when we break down the layers here and really get to know the person behind this art, you know, because that leads me into the art itself, which is why we're here today. Now, I first visited Yvonne Blanco back in June of this year when New Alliance Studios were having an open house and an art gallery situation going on. And I, you know, arrived plus one that day and I met Yvonne and I said to Yvonne after, and and this is facts, you know, aside from meeting friends that I had already doing shit here at New Alliance, 
it was the meeting with Yvonne Blanco that stood out the most of anything else that day. It was the artwork. It was the way she related to the artwork. It was the way she carried herself. It was the confidence she showed in her art and in who she is. And just giving the air of a person who knows, you know, her worth, knows who the fuck she is, and knows the, what the fuck her worth is in this art, that made me go, okay, well, my audience needs to know you, needs to get to know the story. A season went by, we finally made this happen, and the very first one I noticed was the David Bowie, Aladdin Sane artwork from the album cover from the 1973 album, you know? And that was one of the first, like, truly memorable visuals as a child I had of Bowie. Because in my time, it was during the whole Let's Dance era. You know, Mr. Whipple, like, a suit and the haircut and not Mr. Whipple. Uh, is that the one I'm thinking of? I think I'm screwing that up. But um, that's why editing buttons exist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was during the Let's Dance era. He had a totally different vibe and look going on. And then I was in a store called Stereo to Heaven in Boston, which showed all kinds of rock paraphernalia. And they had that image on a giant subway poster being sold. And I went, gee, that doesn't look like the David Bowie I know. And then somehow a local station, V66 in Boston, showed the video for Ashes to Ashes, you know, which was another side of Bowie. So now I'm learning, much like Yvonne Blanco, I'm going to pay you a very high compliment here, much like Yvonne Blanco, there's levels to David Bowie, and there's layers to David Bowie, you know? And I think there's a definitely, you know, something that, that coagulates there, that interlocks between you and David Bowie, because I'm learning that much like he, you've got lo- layers and levels to yourself, and different sides, and, you know, a multifaceted personality. How much does David Bowie influence Yvonne Blanco? I think, um, you know, when I think of David Bowie, he was what we have in common, you know, the small sliver that maybe is he was not afraid to experiment. He was not afraid to try new things. He was not afraid to evolve. He actually thrived on that, like all the permutations, all of the experimentations with sound, you know, and there there was a sheer delight on that. And, you know, I've always loved this music. I just think he's just a fascinating person super fun to draw you know as as someone you're drawing you know you have the eyes you have the makeup like and you know i've drawn him in several uh modes that you know for the most part this was an experiment i made when i was trying to figure out that process of can i get a figurative element into this kind of chaos ink melange that I'm I'm doing. And, you know, he's fun to draw. I love drawing Lemmy. Um there there's others. Danny Trejo is always fun to to paint. Um, you know, and I'm I'm more seeing them as, you know, kind of composites and forms right now than than as um a greater thing. You imagine Lemmy. Yeah. And Danny Trejo among others there. And uh, I look, as I look around me and see the different, you know, faces and artworks and things, I want to know, is there one particular, more than any other musician who influences you and is a favorite of yours to draw, you know, who does Yvonne Blanco vibe with more than any other musician? Because you're very music 
influenced you are very heavily into rock and roll and that whole thing you know industrial and goth and that kind of stuff so is there one particular artist that really influences Yvonne Blanco? Yes, I've never really drawn him. I've well, actually, no, that's a lie. I've I've done a portrait based on one of his songs, and that is Robin Trower. Oh, good pick. Yeah, well, Robin Trower. I grew up listening. You know, I grew up listening to heavy metal, and that was um, from my dad. And he always had it. He had these electric guitars. He would practice after work. And, you know, there's always something playing in the house. And just like Robin Trower always had this kind of like juiciness to um, how he played. And so I've never drawn him. I mean, you, you know, he's he's British, dude. He, he doesn't have like the intricacies that David Bowie has or, or whatnot. But um, I love his music. It reminds me of my father. I did paint a portrait based on Alethea, and um, that song is very special to me. And so, yeah. <laughs> so Robin Trower. Yep. You know, I can't argue with that one. That's a solid pick, and not one I expected, may I add. So that's pretty cool to know. You know, so when we had spoken a while back, I'm looking at this one piece of art behind me right now, and y'all... You're not here, but I will try to get some visuals for you, you know, for the chop session when this thing drops. And I got to know about this one piece I'm looking at right now. It's like a brownish red, you know, large canvas piece here. And we talked about this when we were last talking actually here in the studio. But I want to know more about this art piece here. Sure. So um, let's kind of start at the beginning. Um, I have a friendship with Adam O'Day. He is awesome. He's a painter here in Boston. And he set me up with P.T. Sullivan. Um, and the two of them were concocting a show where they would bring in artists together. Each artist had to choose a color at random. Um, and they would be given this large canvas to work within that color. Um, and then the show was to be called Chromatic Dimensions. And I remember going and I was hoping for some kind of shade of blue. Like my art is very heavy on the blues. And I got burnt sienna, which I was very disappointed at first. Um, but then just after, you know, kind of experimenting, I ended up, you know, taking a little trip to Montreal. I sat at a bar, drew in my sketchbook, which is one of my favorite things to do. Just like sit there and nurse a drink and just kind of come up with ideas um, I started thinking about my favorite, one of my favorite books of all time is The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Yeah. And his life was very interesting because he was a pilot and he tried to break a record from Paris to Senegal, I believe. Um, but he ended up crashing in the Libyan desert. And as the story goes, he only had half a day's worth of ration to split between himself and his mechanical engineer, and they trekked for three days with only, you know, like half a liter of water and maybe some wine until Berbers found him. And this painting, I started thinking, you know, I wanted to do a representation of like the baobab trees that the prince encountered or something like that. But then I thought about the author and thinking, you're lost in the desert for three days. Like how, what kind of hallucinations are you coming up with? Are you at that point? Like, are you aware of your body? Are you coming, you know, how do you know what is real and what isn't? What is part of you? What is not? 
what is a mirage? What is, you know, so it kind of parlays into that, you know, theme of navigation. Like, how do you know where you are? How do you know what you are and who you are? And so the forms, like the painting is, you know, a man's face and there's like, you know, a bug-like form that's divided with like black and white lines and it kind of swoops down into some divisions um, on this kind of just burnt landscape. And like, I just, I wanted to capture that kind of, that moment before getting rescued or being found of just just that like hallucination that must have been going on yeah i mean that was the one that jumped out at me you know besides the bowie pieces that's the one that really jumped out most of all from me when i first met you you know and again you know there's so much here but we mentioned this earlier on in the show i know i want to bring it back to this artworks that were based on the music of boston area bands and artists and I'd like to get an idea from you of which of these artists are represented in the pieces behind me here on the wall. And again, you'll get to see some of these visuals on social media, but let's hear it. You know, let's hear about these Boston influenced art pieces based on our music scene. Sure. And, uh, you know, once again, I have chromothesia. I trip out at shows. I experience sound as color. So I do go to a lot of shows here in Boston um, and so I've, I've seen a myriad amount of bands, um, through different genres. And so, you know, what we have is a, a grid with eight, eight by eight paintings and they're mixed media. So they're, you know, found, uh, papers and maps and whatnot with, um, paint and, and layered shapes over. And so these are, are translations of songs by these bands. So the, the top one is Sidewalk Driver. Um, the one to the right of it is uh, Cortez. Then I did, uh, and these are the bands. Um, I did Sky Tigers, uh, Bird Language, uh, Blood Lightning, Freeze Pop, Sea, and Barishi. And Barishi's the only band that's not local to Boston, but they're just, they're wonderful. So I had to paint that song. Bird Language were featured earlier this year on the Sterling Collection playlist over on Spotify. They also put out their debut album earlier this year, too. Big shout out to Bird Language. And, of course, Freeze Pop are legendary to our community out here. I mean, there's one name that you got to talk about when Boston electronic music comes up and Freeze Pop has to come up in that conversation. You know, that's pretty dope to look at. So going through, you know, Yvonne Blanco's artistic trajectory and learning about how music has had such a strong impact on what you do, you know, I got to know, you know, there's got to be the one Yvonne Blanco piece that has yet to happen. And it's got to be one that is just, you know, buried deep within your soul. And you want to bring it out to the public. You want to show it to the world but you have not yet, you know, found the time or the means or just the inspiration enough to want to bring it out. Can you give me an idea of what the world has not seen yet? The one Yvonne Blanco piece that you want so badly to share with the world, but you've yet to do it. Oh, you will regret this. Um, So I'm Uh currently finishing a master's degree in experience design and I'm in my, 
kind of technological training phase where I'm doing um, 3D printing, um, Arduinos, electronics, um, and VR. And I've had this idea cooking up for a while. I'm not going to really go into it too much, but I'd like to build a symphony of disappointment where you are fa- hmm. you are fashioning an item as your instrument that would then react to speech by you know making a sound and i call it the symphony of disappointment because i would train an ai and that's you know that's something coming i have to figure out how to do that train an ai to recognize certain phrases that are patronizing and activate this instrument whenever it hears something like, oh, good for you, you know, things things like that. And it would just kind of clap. And it, it the kind of thing of, it's very conceptual. It would make you kind of aware of when you're doing these things and just kind of, you know, or other people be like, oh, wait, wait, what is the meaning of this? So it's it's something, it's a lot of technology that I'm I'm learning at the moment, you know, especially the 3D printing and, and the Arduino. Um, but that's that's kind of, you know, in a year or two, I want to make that piece. It's just been sitting in my head for a while. The symphony of disappointment. Now that you've built this up a little bit, now I'm curious to see it actually become a thing, you know, and hopefully one day down the road, we get to see Yvonne Blanco's symphony of disappointment come to life. You know, now I'm, I'm a curious person on this. One last one for you, Yvonne, with all the music influence you have in your life. I mean, have you ever thought about one day maybe Yvonne Blanco, you know, getting into music, recording music, um, getting in a band or as a side project or becoming a musician yourself? Or, you know, I, I assumed initially when I first met you, you must be an artist, an artist and a musician, you know, but uh, I want to know, do you ever see that in your future? I mean, I, I kind of already am, not professionally. So I I was classically trained on the piano when I was young. But I have major stage fright. I don't like playing in front of people. Um, I also tend to, because I have the chromathesia, when I start playing, my mind will drift off and then I will mess up whatever I'm doing. Um, I did record... Uh, a jam with my friend uh, Matt Harrington um, from Cortez that I actually ended up using in a video for a grad school project. It was one of those like, haha, I have an original song that I wrote. We're going to put it in there. Um, I mean, I didn't write it. It was me and me and him collaborated on that. But it's, you know, I think maybe in the future I get a setup going and I can record some stuff. But right now my my priority is completing grad school, kind of getting my art in order, and then, you know, I'll figure out the next steps from there. But it's, you know, it's not uh, outside of the realm of possibilities. Nothing really is for you, Yvonne. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about you is I've only known you for a few months, but in getting to know your story, I'm learning that, you know, there really isn't a whole lot that's outside your wheelhouse. You know, you're the type where if you really want to bring something to life, you know, or if you want to bring something into this world that is a reflection of you and that deepest, darkest corner of your artistic soul, you know, you are you are capable and it is possible for you to do any damn thing you want artistically. Make it fabulous. Make it dark. Make it beautiful. 
you know, and make it a reflection of who you are, you know, and uh, there are so many amazing reflections of Yvonne Blanco artistically, y'all, and before we go, we'll find out how you can find her online, find out how you can get your own piece of Yvonne Blanco artwork, find out how you can, you know, come see the artwork in person, all that fun stuff, you know, because this is an artistic individual you got to get to know, you got to get to know her work. And uh, she's one of the great artists out here that you don't hear about much, but uh, you should hear about. And that's why she's here on the Chop Session this week. You know, so how do we find Yvonne Blanco online and find your artwork? Okay, first of all, thank you for all that, Sterling. Appreciate. Truth, um, truth. We speak it here. <laughs> we speak it here. Yeah. You know? Full yeah, disclosure. So, so you can find me uh, via my website. It is blancomachete.com. And... Um, I'm sure it'll be spelled out somewhere. My Instagram is also Blanco Machete. So I have my studio here at New Alliance. We are going to have a closing show for the current uh, show that is going on right now, Abject Permanence, um, on December 1st. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. I'll, I'll be posting about it. New Alliance will be posting about it. We also have an upcoming show December 15th called Synthmas. It's a synthesizer Christmas with a lot of digital artists. Hey. And so usually, you know, when there are shows, my studio is always open. So, you know, feel free to pop in. We can have a conversation. And I always have art on display. Yes. And when you do pull up, you all the New Alliance Studios, you'll get to see this artwork in person. We'll share a few examples on social media when this thing drops. But, you know, maybe, maybe before that, you know, but... uh Needless to say, no matter what I show you on social media, it will not do it justice. You got to see it in person. Okay. And you got to meet Yvonne Blanco. You know, I meet a lot of folks in this industry all the time in different corners of our artistic community. But keep it 100 for y'all. The older I get, the fewer that actually, you know, stay with me and are memorable to me or I want to follow up with. Yvonne Blanco is one of like literally a handful of people that I've wanted to keep up with since meeting her. And uh, I'm really grateful I did because this has been a really dope chop session episode, a good kickoff to these two Halloween themed episodes we got for y'all. And how are you celebrating Halloween, by the way, Yvonne? Um, so I'm going to be knee deep in my grad school work. So it's going to be a lot of last minute party hopping. Um, you know, previous years, I like to put a costume together, but I always have like my two fallbacks, which is either death from the Sandman or a banana. And last year I combined the two and I was a death banana. So I will probably, it's, you know, super easy. Just have the scythe and show up. So it'll be a lot of kind of last minute, okay, I was able to construct this model. Now I can run to a party kind of deal. So next year, next year will be a lot more kind of planned and interesting. But, you know, we're we're playing it by ear this year. <laughs> yes. You know, and if you happen to see her at your local Halloween party, you know, show some love, say hello and give her some candy. You know, seriously. <laughs> All right, y'all. So more in a moment about next week's episode as we continue this Halloween vibe here on the Chop Session. But uh, for now, in a couple of minutes, we have that. But for now, Yvonne Blanco, we appreciate you for being here. You can find her on social media, as she mentioned, at Blanco Machete. And yeah, do give her a follow, y'all, by all means. 
Yvonne Blanco, we appreciate you and thank you. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. More about next week's show in a moment here on The Chop Session. This is The Indefinable. Sterling Golden, and this is Boston Free Radio. Once again, y'all, big thank yous to Yvonne Blanco for a dope interview this week here on The Chop Session, and gratitude for allowing us into her fabulous art space at the new Alliance Studios. That was the first of two Halloween-themed conversations we have for y'all this season on The Chop Session. Big facts right here, there is nobody in our regional arts community quite like Yvonne Blanco, and that is on period. All right, y'all. So for Halloween next week here on the Chop Session, we have for y'all a post-apocalyptic Bratz doll from hell pulling up to our studio. And who better to pre-party on Halloween with than Baby Chaos? Y'all, Baby Chaos right now is experiencing success as a Boston Music Awards nominee, gaining streams and follows by the day. She is an industrial pop artist signed to Cleopatra Records, who is turning heads everywhere in the industry right now. And next week, for the first time, you will get to learn the full story of Baby Chaos. That is next week on Monday for your Halloween, 6 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on Boston Free Radio. You will definitely not want to miss out on this conversation. Don't sleep, all right? Okay, y'all, so in case you ever sleep on a Chop Session episode, or if you happen to lock in late for a premiere on Boston Free Radio, say less, we got you. You can stream episodes from seasons one through five on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other fine digital streaming platforms. You can also follow the Chop Session on social media, on Instagram at Chop Session Show, and on Twitter at The Chop Session. And of course, you can follow your man Sterling Golden on social media, on Instagram at DJ Sterling Golden, on Twitter at DJ Sterling Golden, couldn't fit two G's in the handle, and on TikTok at DJ Sterling Golden. So y'all, have a fabulous week, a productive week. I will see y'all next Monday with Baby Chaos. Till then, this is The Chop Session. I am your man Sterling Golden, and I say stop. Stop.